Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, and thanks for joining me. I'm really looking forward to this special discussion today with four highly successful recruitment business leaders. I'm thrilled to be joined by Kate McCarthy Booth, founder and chair of McCarthy Recruitment, Abigail Stevens, founder and managing director of Think Global Recruitment, Paul Howarth, director of Howarth Morris, and John Hitchener, founder and director of JDH Talent Consultancy. Thank you all for being here today. It's really great to have you along. Kate, can I start with you? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, sure. Hi. Hiya. No, thank you for uh, inviting me. Um, I am I'm based in Warrington, but we recruit for the whole of the UK, um, McCarthy Recruitment. we uh, I founded McCarthy just coming up to 16 years ago. Um, so we've gone through lots of uh, lots of change over that time. Um, and uh, yeah, we hold our heritage in retail and hospitality and leadership in operational management recruitment. Um, and over the last kind of two or three years, and, and definitely um, pushed this year even more, um, we recruited lots of different sectors. And, and actually, we focus on disciplines as opposed to sector recruitment. So we talk about roles and disciplines and anything leadership, operational, so finance, HR, marketing, etc. within any kind of sector and business. So that's our specialism across the UK. We only work in the UK, so we're not over in America. Um, I say yet, but I think we're quite happy over here for the, for, for the moment. Um, but yeah, that's me. I do lots of, uh, lots of different work and uh, lots of consultancy now to business around um, HR and people practices, uh, as well as uh, filling vacancies we're not just a vacancy filler recruiter but yeah that's a little bit about me nice before i leave you when you began the business was it industry focused and then you moved to discipline yeah so our heritage is retail and hospitality and and that's kind of where 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 our focus was and really the growth of the business came from that probably at a time when retail was growing um, and also we were very well known and established in in that world but as retail's changed we've we've changed with it um, and I think this year's really enabled us to pivot actually as much as it was kind of um, a shock when you're in a sector and you grow within it you almost it's difficult to get out of that yeah. um, because you, your growth comes with with it um, and this year's been great we've we've recruited in tech we're recruiting in agriculture um recruiting in food manufacturing in electrical manufacturing and it's great to do lots of other things um, and so yeah we changed our marketing really to talk about disciplines as opposed to sexes now because a hr manager for me is a hr manager in retail hospitality tech manufacturing it, it doesn't matter um, and so yeah we've changed the way we approach the market really now yeah brilliant all right thank you very much and abigail Can I move to you? Where are you based and what's your business? I personally am based in Edinburgh. Um, Think Global Recruitment um, and the consultants are based all over the world. Um, We uh, move, we import and export accountants, which is uh, basically moving accountancy and finance professionals and jobs across the globe. Um, We uh, also have just um, moved into a specialism of um, data analytics, cybersecurity, et cetera, but to the finance profession. Um, so sticking within that specialism, we've been going for about 20 years and we set up with that specialism um, and we help people literally move from any country to any country and companies in any country where they've got those really hard to fill roles that they can't fill from people on the local market and they have to reach out, you know, further afield. Our clients might include people like KPMG, PwC, Deloitte, Y, or it, it might be someone like Coca-Cola or, I don't know, Goldman Sachs, Credit Suisse, some of the large financial service organisations. Yes, yeah, so we've we've embraced since earlier this year um, with everyone working from home. We we had the ability to working from home, and that has actually enabled us to expand our team more globally as well because more people have had the chance to practice working from home and see what they like about it. Excellent, thank you. Great, Paul. Whereabouts are you based, and what does Howarth Morris do? Hi, Ben. Um, based in Manchester, um, Howarth Morris. We've been established since the beginning of '07, so we were fortunate enough to kick off just before the global banking crisis, which was excellent timing. Um, and we've always had a focus around sort of the northwest of England, but equally at the same time recruited across the UK. A bit as, you know, Kate would say, we, did, we have fiddled around a little bit overseas, but nothing in any any great sort of volume more to do with existing clients you've asked us to assist. Um, 
we're very much discipline focused. Um, so our two key disciplines are finance and HR recruitment. Um, I sort of lead on the HR side. And in both disciplines, we really sort of go from really from the sort of, you know, junior sort of right up to board level, um, really from the part qualified sense and above where we can really add value to add value to our clients, but also, you know, assist our candidates on, on the sort of career journey longer term. Um, and I suppose our discipline focus has been something that's assisted us sort of getting through the, the, the somewhat difficult last sort of eight, eight nine months um, where we've had clients over such a range, whether it be um, care and healthcare, pharmaceuticals, you know, specialist engineering, which has been classified as key factors. So whilst we've had our team working remotely for the last eight months, I guess, as Manchester, as Greater Manchester, as, as Kate and John certainly know, have, have been in one form of lockdown or another really since the 23rd of March, um, we've managed to maintain some revenue and, and maintain support our clients and candidates. Can I ask, before I move on, you went through the global financial crisis. What lessons have you taken from that and applied to the current situation? Um, I actually wrote a piece um, about two months ago in terms of the, the big difference in HR, I think, from 2007-8 to now. Um, the one thing I, I sort of picked up on fairly early doors um, in the current pandemic was, first off, nobody thought there was a problem. Then people got nervous on the trams. Then if you sort of picked your nose, coughed or anything, then people just dived to the floor and then we were in lockdown. Um, what was so different was that we had, from certainly from a recruitment and HR perspective, you had a load of people who suddenly, through no fault of their own, became economically inactive, but were not unemployed. Yes. Um, and so whereas 0809 it was brutal. And I can still remember, as I'm sure the, the other guys around the table can, picking up the phone to clients you'd maybe known for years who were like, well, we came in on Monday and the world had changed. You know, we had house builders who Easter weekend hadn't had a single viewing on their biggest weekend of the year. And that was just brutal and it affected everybody. And but yeah, there were some lights, but it, it was different. You knew it was going to be deep, but it was going to come up. And this has had this strange sense, particularly around the furlough scheme, mm. that has changed client and, and candidate perceptions in terms of recruitment. The furlough scheme, I think, has been essential to, to ensure that we've not had huge deprivation and poverty. But at the same time, it's made our businesses a little bit difficult to read because candidates are more, are more conservative in one of our disciplines, finance, they're more conservative anyway, as I'm sure Abigail... All, all agree um, and it's just a bit it's, it's, a, it's an unusual sort of crisis that we've never been through before every crisis is different this one is more different than most because it's not purely financial absolutely mm. alright thank you John can you tell us where you're based and tell us about your business certainly John Hitchener, thank you very much for the invitation and, and such a you know a, a prestigious panel thank you I appreciate it um, yeah, based in Manchester, 35 years in recruitment. And uh, I know you're going to say, wow, no chance looking like that. Um, <laughs> uh, Absolutely. Uh, uh, thank you. Cheers, Ben. Uh, basically, uh, I spent four years at Computer People, excellent company, before they came a PLC and joined the ADECO group. And then I was 29 years at uh, Rulion. So thank you to the uh, Themis Sayuli family for looking after me. Uh, fantastic company, and uh, I've still got fond memories. And people thought I was crazy for setting up my own talent consultancy two and a half years ago, but I just love looking after people and coaching, motivating. So three strands to the business. Um, I'm non-exec to three different recruitment companies. Uh, I do leadership coaching. And then, yes, we all know there's a horrible murky world out there called the recruitment to recruitment business. And yes, I've entered into it. And hopefully with my uh, approach and policies, I can make a subtle difference. So yeah, loving it so far. And and despite the pandemic, uh, you know, things are looking up. So very, very hopeful of the future. Brilliant. I like it. Tell the, the non-exec roles, what exactly are you doing for those businesses? Uh, completely different between all three. Um, I don't mind mentioning one of them, CMR, uh, fantastic local company based in Altrincham. Uh, I've known Paul Carter and Sam for 20 odd years, mainly through squash. Uh, I can't uh, mention because uh, he's actually better than me. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I'm basically involved in uh, all the operations and, and probably doing a lot of the HR. So 
right now I'm writing and helping them all the financial modeling behind their commission plans. Uh, and then if you take Ventula, who are based in London, I've actually been mostly involved in coaching and uh, writing tenders and bids. Uh, and then one or two of the other companies like MRJ, yeah, again, very operational and helping them out with the strategy. Great. Okay. Thank you very much for that. Uh, before I move on to the next question, Abigail and Kate, I saw you nodding there um, when Paul was talking about the the changes we've seen with the furlough system and, and the environment. A any comments before I move on? What, why were you nodding and, and what are your thoughts around that situation? For me, um, the situation now, when I went through the financial crisis, we were three years old at that point, um, and it, it was very different. Um, it, it was um, faster, um, sharper in, in, in many ways, and I agree with what Paul said. Um, this has had it much more complexity um, because the reasons for it are different and the uncertainty around what happens next um, has really created um, uncertainty in the job market. So well, even though when, first of all, there's no vacancies because everybody panics and pulls all the vacancies and actually then it's, it can be difficult to fill vacancies because the candidates aren't moving you've got a really static job market where candidates are, are don't want to go, want security, and they know that if anything goes wrong, they'll just be put on furlough. Um, and, I, and I think the furlough scheme was definitely needed, but I do think there should have been some nuances within it, especially now um, going into March. Mm. I think when he announced um, we're just going to continue it till March, I was pretty shocked because um, from a business leader point of view, for me, you would do it month on month and even sector by sector or sectors that are supporter sector that's been affected so or you're in tier three and um, furlough would exist but you know furlough exists for companies in tier one it's absolutely crazy and people are utilizing that um in order to just allow people to stay in jobs that they know that there's gonna, there is going to be an end to what that means is we're all on hold everything's paused um, and I do believe that the floodgates are going to open and um, come kind of after Easter next year, hopefully when the vaccine's there, um, furlough's going to end and actually suddenly going to be another load of unemployment. And we do need some movement. You know, th there are some vacancies and you're struggling to, especially niche vacancies, finance, HR. I've got some in, in, in tech and e-com, um, for example, where you do need some market movement. So, I mean, it probably plays into Abigail's hands because she's bringing people in globally, but that also can't be easy in a pandemic when people are on lockdown and you can't move. So I think it's just, um, it's complex. And I think um, last time it was batting down the hatches. You knew it was going to be tough. You knew it was going to be tough for a while. You get everything down to a cost control level. And I think with this, you could do that for the first six months. So we all managed our costs and we got discounts. But come September, everything's back to the cost of it level that it should be. Um, but the, the movement isn't there. So, um, and, and every month feels different and you feel like as a leader, you're trying to navigate something that if you had a crystal ball, you'd be able to do much better than you can without that. Um, and the government keeps changing the goalposts with such a moment's notice. Um, and I know, for example, in hospitality and retail sectors, I was interviewed by the BBC and they asked me about temp recruitment. They said, you know, the temp numbers are really down from last year. <laughs> And for me, I was like, okay, and you really want to know why? The shops aren't open and you haven't told us if they're going to open. So how, how can you possibly be asking such a ridiculous question? And actually what's going to happen is they're then going to need those people really, really fast, but only for five weeks. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think there's some crazy decisions being made and, and the complexity is, is much broader. Abigail, what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I think it's certainly the uncertainty there is quite strange. And the difference for us, obviously, as we deal with the whole world was um, if you go back to the financial services crisis, we were about sort of seven, eight years old, and we just watched it close down around the world slowly. But by the time it got to one side of the world, it then opened up again, going in the other direction. Um, it hasn't done that this time. It's still every country is a bit uncertain. Everywhere is still uncertain. And we're also finding that the, the candidates are uncertain. They're, they're very volatile volatile at the moment. Um, one minute they're all gung-ho, I want to go somewhere and I want to take this new job. And then the next minute they, they sort of get startled, bunny in headlights and don't want to do it. And the companies as well, they, they're all gung-ho one minute, then they slow down a bit, the process is going slower, which doesn't help with keeping the candidates in the process. So yeah, I think it's just that uncertainty at the moment. It, it, it's um, certainly uh, slowing down recovery. And I agree what you said about the, the, the furlough sort of is delaying the inevitable in, in many cases. And um, 
but uh, but my theory still is that next year is going to be a bit of a boom, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah, boom bust, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. The roaring so, 20s I'm hoping for. <laughs> fingers crossed. It's obviously when businesses are going through struggling, difficult times, the stronger are going to survive or, or thrive perhaps when the time is right. Paul, maybe if I turn to you and ask what makes a good versus great recruitment business, because I think it's more likely that a great business versus a good and average one uh, will perform better or come out on the other side in a strong position. I think, well, so I had a proper job before recruitment. So I came into recruitment. I was the oldest trainee in, in the country at 31. And, um, and I actually like quickly sort of like came to the conclusion that um, number one is you need a bit of luck. You can be as brilliant at anything as you want. But sometimes you can do everything textbook. And if the if the cards and the dice don't fall your way, it's difficult. And then I think the other thing that I sort of recognise, and you know, everybody around this table, I mean, I'm sort of I'm probably the baby, I'm 20 years in recruitment. <laughs> um, it, but thankfully it's changed massively from when I started in 2000 in terms of its professionalism and its values as an industry, not just as individual organizations. There's very few cowboys now, whereas I think when I joined it was the majority. Mm. Um, so I think the other thing about succeeding in a difficult climate and a couple of points that both Abigail and, and Kate made, which is difficult for managing your teams, is is I think your values and, and your culture. Um, I um, was on a very interesting sort of webinar yesterday with a guy called Professor Damien Hughes, who's a sports psychologist from from lovely Wigan. Kate's He's amazing. There. Damien Hughes is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I've, I've seen him... I do, used to do some kids rugby coaching, so I've seen him sort of like close to as well, doing stuff for, you know, guys and ladies coaching children. And he's brilliant. And, and the thing, his big thing is your culture. Values and stuff are fine, but if, you, if you've got no culture that supports them, so you're not going to get your buy-in. You're not going to get the buy-in in your teams. If we've not got people as businesses, we can't, we can't write business. So we have to look after our people. And that is, I think, is properly around the whole the whole sort of eco structure. So that's our clients, it's our candidates, it's our suppliers, um, as well as our, our staff. And just at the beginning of the lockdown in April, May, um, and I think most people noticed there was a real improvement in people's just civility and, and politeness to each other. Everybody was in it a little bit. And that I remember, and this article I wrote a couple of months ago about HR in, in 07 to now, in 07, there was a very short period then. Within a year, everybody forgot and everybody became very selfish again in corporate terms. And I just hope that people remember some of the lessons of actually some of the nice things in April, May about saying hello to people, moving out of the way so people get past, letting somebody who is maybe, you know, struggling a little bit, get in front of you in the queue in the supermarket, speaking to, you, to your clients and saying, listen, I know you're having it tough, so let's stretch that payment having your landlord say, we don't know what we're going to do, but bear with us. And that, that idea of you can be successful without beating somebody. Mm. Yeah. And I hope that that persists. So I think, yeah. sorry, I've, I've rambled on. No, um, I, I, I think a lot of it really is down to a little bit of luck. I think, I think um, data and IT is really key um, in terms of having the right information to lead you to, to opportunities. And then it's, it's having your values and your culture set right so that, you know, people will help you out, whether that's your team, whether that's your co-directors, whether that's your suppliers or your customers. Yeah, and your absolutely. Company. If you're listening to this, by the way, check the show notes. We'll get the article or the reference of the Wigan coach, I think you mentioned there, and also to the article you wrote on the HR discipline. Just one quick, one of Damien Hughes quotes that I love, yeah. which came out from the coaching thing, which is about management of your teams, really, and that, that culture piece is, if you can't describe it to a six-year-old in one sentence, you don't understand it yourself. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Really good. Absolutely. So, John, what are your thoughts on what makes a good versus great recruitment business? Yeah, obviously, I agree with a, a lot of that. I think that the, the key point that uh, Paul was referring to there is culture. So, um, at the end of the day, it, 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 culture, you know, it covers such a wide range of areas, but it, it's all about behaviours rather than just words. So, to me, what it leads into is the selection of your leadership team. To me, uh, you know, in this day and age, because it is a very, very tough market out there, you've got to have leaders rather than managers. So it's all about, uh, you know, choosing the right leadership team with a mix of skills that complements your strategy. And then literally, uh, you know, I, I've come across businesses since I set up in the last two and a half years. You've got four people in a business and two of the people are, are more operational directors than actual client developers, business developers. 
And to me, it's like uh, that that business is not giving itself a chance. You've got to be so, you know, uh, visible to your team, visible to clients, etc. But, you know, a leadership team, obviously, there's a, I think there's seven different skill sets that makes up a, a really successful leadership team. So I won't bore everyone and go through them. But to me, it's that mix of skills that gives you the best fighting chance in such a tough market. So it's all about leading from the front, uh, not hiding behind your screen. It's all about, you know, literally motivating, coaching your sales team rather than commanding. Yeah. So I, I put it as simple down as, as the leadership team. If you get that wrong, then you're not starting with a solid foundation. Yeah. There's a business book, I think it's called The Fish Rots from the Head, right. uh, which even just the title kind of gives it away. It, it lines up with what you're saying there, absolutely. Yeah. Abigail, what are your thoughts on what makes a good versus great recruitment business? Yeah, I mean, I think Paul and John basically highlighted some very, very important facts and um, that having the, the strong leadership team, people behind is very important. Having a common sort of purpose and values that they're, they're all aiming for, that everybody knows that so needs to filter down, but everybody right the way down to the bottom and the trainees need to know what that is and going for the same thing and believe in it though, not just know it. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. it is instilling the belief between everyone for sure. And, and I think also um, one of these things is also perception. And, and, and if you're going to be a great company, you need to be monitoring what your candidates and your clients are saying about you and then and then working on that, you know, looking at um, how do we improve any areas of weakness that they're highlighting or how do we accentuate all of our successes that they're highlighting as well. Um, so so utilizing all those things together, um, you know, really does make the, the company stand out, being on top of your data and, and knowing where you're going with it, and what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, um, Kate, what do you think? For thoughts? me, it's also about authentic leadership. Um, I think um, really um, establishing the, the the honesty within a business, especially um, in a time like this. Um, saying and putting your hand up if you don't know the answer. Um, there's many of us have sat around a boardroom table not knowing the answer in the last nine months. And actually, I think it's actually saying to your team, "I actually don't know." Um, <laughs> but you know, and and actually going to your team as well and saying, "What do you think?" So ensuring that it's a it's an authentic involvement of them as well, that they feel part of that journey um, and they they feel part of where it's going and they're part of that solution going forward. So and if you need to cut, which we did, I'm sure lots of other businesses have had to, that you cut quick, you cut once um, and then everybody else is secure. Um, and that you're clear about where you're going and you're clear about, you know, from a financial management point of view, I think it's really important. I, I absolutely agree with culture and people. I'm all over that. You know, we, we won great place to work three times in a row. Um, that wasn't by accident. Um, absolutely passionate about culture and people. But if you're not managing your finance and your bottom line and your cash flow um, and you're not making sensible decisions, you're not looking after your people. Um, because ultimately, I, I feel responsible for the mortgages of a lot of people, not just my own. Um, and and you, that is our accountability. So, And it's also knowing who you are as a business and knowing where you want to go. And a lot of businesses have had to pivot. We've had to do different things. It's not about trying to do too many things all at the same time so you lose your identity either. It's about understanding what that is and then productizing that into the market and actually offering something else for me and um, recruiters that just offer to fill vacancies and spit out client after client after client and they think it's fantastic to say well we worked with 300 clients last year i prefer to work with less clients in a consultative way adding value to that business on a long-term basis not just about filling a vacancy um, and for me that's what makes the difference between a great recruiter I mean, Paul was saying earlier about um, there's not as many sharks out there and I kind of had a wry smile <laughs> I think um, I think there's a lot more people that want to do it in the right way um, I'm not quite sure there's not as many maybe they're not as quiet or maybe something like this and um, kind of um, sort, sorts everybody out um, for me I think there's a lack of authentic honest recruitment sometimes um, people can say they can do things that they can't do um, and I think um, for me, for me, it's about being absolutely sticking to that core value. Um, and I will say to a client, that's not my bag, but I know somebody that can recruit that role for you. Um, and it, 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 it's that that's really important. Um, and the kindness that Paul talked about, I think, um, I, I hope isn't lost. But, you know, I've got some fond memories of, of March the 23rd, or I think we lost 95% of our vacancies um, within four days. Um, you know, that's pretty catastrophic. Um, but I was getting phone calls from clients saying, um, do, you want, do you want me to send you some money? 
um, do you want to invoice me? Uh, well, what for? Well, we'll talk about what for later. Uh, do you need money? Um, and 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 for me, that that they've come through with us. You know, I a consultant. I consult a lot into businesses that we weren't necessarily recruiting for, saying to me, "You can recruit for that role." And so the clients actually helped our pivot. Um, you know, Kate, it's great that you consultant with us on diversity and inclusion, but actually we've got um, a role coming from marketing. We don't want to give it to um, an agency that we're not as close to. Do, do you want to try it? Um, and, and having that really authentic bond as a relationship with your clients and your candidates, um, and that for me is what makes us stand out and other businesses like these guys stand out. If I can just touch on that kindness, uh, I've got an example of, uh, you know, the the wreck to wreck industry doesn't have the greatest reputation. But, you know, I've been involved now for two and a half years and I can't talk highly enough of some of my competitors. And just to prove that, um, obviously, we rely on business confidence and recruitment companies being busy. So if they're not busy, we're going to struggle. So can I suggest it's not been the easiest year? Um, but what I've absolutely thrived upon is collaboration with two of my direct competitors. Really? So if I have a candidate who I can't actually place, obviously there are very few live roles about, and I've actually passed that CV across to a couple of my competitors. And this year I've made four placements that way. And that to me just proves that your competition is actually your friend, not your enemy. And, and it works. So I hope can collaboration be. continues. With, with the right people, John, that's what I'm going to say. Okay. I, I, I agree with you. And I actually think in the retail and hospitality sector of recruitment, a lot of us came together and I've helped right. a number of businesses um, right. from a, sit, even sitting down with them, going through the finance and helping them understand how to navigate it. Smaller sure. businesses than us. Um, yeah. That's no skin off my nose. That's not going to affect my business. Oh. Um, but it, but it, I think it's really important that we did come together and we shared... Um, being a director of a business can be really, really lonely, um, and um, especially in a time when you're trying to make massive decisions. And I think to be able to come to with other people and to share some truth and actually just to share some vulnerability, I think was really important this year. Absolutely, yeah. You're so right about the the, the right comp competition. So uh, <laughs> I had a long history with these individuals, so I knew them personally. So the trust was all, already there. So it did it's already in place. And I take your point, John, about uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. I, I would agree with that. Uh, and Kate, a, a couple of points there. Firstly, admitting to your team, I don't know the answer to this. Does that run the risk of them thinking this is a rudderless ship? We don't know where we're going. Yeah. Yeah, what what a terrible leader! Which is no clue. Um, I think um, I, I think it, it could run that risk um, if you didn't have a good relationship with your yeah. team in the first place. So if you suddenly go into a crisis and you try to suddenly be a leader that you're not, um, I've always been really authentic with my team. You know, you know, I've gone through personal crisis. I've been running this business 16 years. I've had two babies, and you know, I, I had an awful lot of IVF in that time as well. You know, some shits happened. You know. Um, and actually, if you and and things happen to them too. And from a mental health point of view, if you show vulnerability, those people feel like they can talk to you. So when that's and, and that's why you know they talk about what your history is in recruitment. And I hope I, I you know I'm I'm famous for the way I've treated my team over the years. The people that have come and go, and the people that have struggled in that time. Um, and our teams have gone through mental health struggles during this crisis. They've all had to work from home, maybe if they're struggling, and they've, they've had um, shielding parents or children that are they're trying to homeschool, which I did two fractions and not my forte. I've understood that. I'm not a teacher. I did not go, you know, my family are full of teachers. I definitely didn't come from that, um, that, that world. Um, but I think showing vulnerability is important. Now, that's with strength as well. Now, I'm not talking about sitting crying in front of your team going, oh, I don't know what we're doing. I have no idea. I'm talking about sitting, saying authentically, right, this is a problem. Um, but saying we will get through this together. So I didn't show any lack of confidence, um, but I showed that I didn't necessarily know the answer at that time and that we need to discover that together. And more and more heads and brains in that point of time are better. And we and it was about it's a bit like going in the trenches for me. And that's how I described to the team. We are we are going to war and we're going to war together. Do we want to be here at the end of this? Because if we're here at the end of it, I think we'll thrive. If we get scared and we don't go and fight, and it was like, who's the warriors? I need warriors. And and I don't need people that are gonna crumble. I'll help you when you fall over and we'll pull each other up because there will be those times that we need to do it, but we're going through this together. So I'm talking about vulnerability with with a confident leadership style. So there's a balance there. Yeah. I think that's absolutely true, just because 
going back to where we started, this has been different to any other crisis uh, that we've ever had. None of us around here have ever been through in Northern Europe a pandemic. Right. You know, the last one was 1918. And I sort of had a bit of a light bulb moment where it really just following on from what Kate said. You think you've got to have the answer, but how can you have the answer to something that no one's ever seen? Yeah. And therefore you're at risk of making yourself look foolish, I think. <laughs> So we yeah, had the government that did that for us, didn't we, Paul? So. <laughs> don't get me going. So how many days, how how many days to the end of the transition arrangements? Hey, I don't want to get the political uh, census on this. <laughs> yeah, but, I, mean, I was having a conversation with one of my younger guys last week who's, who's got a great attitude. He was like, well, you know, when's the furlough scheme going to end? And when when will we be back in the office? And when, I'm like, I don't really know because I can't control COVID. Mm. You know, we know what will happen. If, we know, I can tell you what would happen if that is the occurrence and the end game of, of that, but we, we have to frameworks. So I think that authentic honesty, yeah. I think is dead valid. And, and I think that, and I think what Paul says there is about control the controllables. There's a whole heap of stuff we can't control. And actually let's focus on our circle of control. And that's what I talked to my, t- and, and at home as well, you know, you can't control everything. I can control that you don't need to work core hours when you're trying to homeschool your kids. Um, and that you can um, and that you can operate differently, and we can be super fluid and flexible. But I, I can't control whether they're going to go back to school or not. And um, so let's let's focus on what we can control. Yeah, that's some excellent communication points there, Abigail. If I turn to you and we we look at what does the future hold for the recruitment or talent acquisition space? What are your thoughts? Because so much has happened. It's true. So much has happened. And and, and I guess, yeah, we're going back to the same topic of we don't know. Um, no, we, we, we I do think, and I did touch on that earlier on, saying that we are going to go back into a boom period at some point. Yeah. Um, and that that's happened through, you know, the, the, the two or three recessions that we've seen. There's going to be a high demand. People have been putting roles on hold or they've been moving people around. People have moved out of the sectors they were working in. And there's going to be a shortage and, and it will get become candidate driven again. Um other things, though, that will change that had nothing to do with where we've just been financially because of the effects of COVID, etc. Um, and Brexit, of course, we can't forget about that. Um, there's, um, I think, IT's changing things a bit. Um, I think the core fundamentals of recruitment will always be the same, but um, you are going to have more video interviews, things like that happening, um, whether they're live ones, pre-recorded videos being utilised. There's more, more, more access to data for businesses, which is going to be a great thing for us going forward to be able to analyze what's going on in our business and just sort of work out those winning formulas a bit better and being on top of it a bit more. Um, so that's quite good. And, and I also think there's a lot of talk in the market about changing the way we price the work we do. Um, mm-hmm. So um, I think a lot of people are looking at their models of how they do the pricing, um, you know, and, and that might be interesting to see if how that's going to change the future. Um, what do you and, see happening then? Um, well, we've, we've seen this. There's been talk about um, maybe um, having more of retained ongoing pricing going on rather than one off contingency fees um, and not or, or even the retained assignments, but having an ongoing relationship with with long term clients where, um, you know, they're, they're paying a job. There's all sorts of different models I've seen, actually, I have to be honest, that um, have been talked about. We talked about earlier on collaborating. Well, I've joined um, the recruitment network over this time and, and it's been amazing because we have peer group discussions all the time and all the other agencies and people who could be competitors are now collaborating together and listening to the way they work is then and Sharing a few more ideas there has really been um, eye-opening. Um, so I do think, and and just we're going to need to be very good solution providers going forward, and listening to our clients and and understanding what they need, and and then working out where their pain points are, and, and becoming the, the the solution provider to that, yeah. because they've got more access to the internet as well, and they're only going to use us if they need to use us, and yeah. so it's having our niches, having our, our knowledge and our experience. Thank you, John. What does your crystal ball tell you regarding the future of the recruitment space? Well, it's not going to get any easier, but I I agree that there's a a boom on its way. But uh, I think agencies and and especially within IT recruitment, I think companies have to become far more specialist in that, you know, over the last five years, there's been a huge growth in internal recruitment teams. And, uh, you know, that's across uh, not just IT, but, you know, they're recruiting uh, engineering staff, HR staff, marketing, etc. So agencies have got to add a value and, and literally uh, you know, LinkedIn, internet, you know, I'm finding within, if you take the rec to rec industry and Manchester's the area that I truly know, 
I would say since March, of all the hires uh, taken on by people, I would say at least 50% have been direct by the companies. What, why would they use me and, you know, I charge a fee, you know, when they can uh, find these people themselves on LinkedIn? And people have had a little bit more time to themselves. And I get that, you know, as XMD of Rulion, if I could find people, of course I was going to take them without using a, a recruitment agency. So without question, agencies have got to become far more innovative and really understand their sort of client selling proposition. It's as simple as that to me. Yeah. Paul, what are your thoughts on the future of that? And also for anyone curious as to how agencies can innovate further and develop their offerings? I, I probably have no, um, nothing really to add of any greater depth than these very well, uh, well-regarded and respected individuals around me. But other than to echo what they've said, really, I think no matter what service or product you sell, you, you either sell on quality or you sell on price. Those are your two options, uh, effectively. And so you've got to decide where you sit. There'll always be somebody that wants it cheap, but you get what you pay for. Yeah. Um, I think Abigail's point about people looking to change model types, I think that's really valid. I just think it's difficult in our industry because it's a service. It's, it, it's so abstract in terms of dealing with people. You know, so if you look at whether you look at Nissan or Persian Citroen, whatever, similar with software, nobody's interested in selling an individualised product. They're interested in a life cycle, a financial arrangement, month in, month out. And that arguably is probably, you know, the absolute sort of like ambrosia for recruitment where you've got X number of clients who've just paid you £1,000 a month and you deal with everything. The trouble is, is I don't think any client has ever had one recruiter that can recruit everything they ever need. So I don't think it quite fits what we do. So I think everybody's points are absolutely, absolutely on the money. And the one thing, you know, we were all, uh, you know, where we used to buy the, you know, for, for three of us anyway, the Manchester Evening News on a Thursday and go through the job pages with a highlighter. And then this thing called the internet arrived. I worked for one of the world's largest white collar recruiters. And for the first year, and this is in 2000, the first wow. year was there, only the um, only the receptionist was allowed personal email. Nobody else could have it. Um, and the world was going to end because all of a sudden this internet came and then these job boards started to come instead of the newspapers and the industry just increased and increased in size so it's been like lots of areas of business it's always been really good at, at about sort of you know reptilian and chameleon about changing itself and reacting to the requirements of clients the question you asked me last the good will, will, will take it on board and, and it'll thrive and the people who don't like change will you know, with it probably in the next three to four years, I would have thought, as, as something changes. Uh, but I think, you know, as an industry, I think we're pretty resilient. But it, it's going to change. It's just a case of how. But yeah. clients will still need recruiters. You know, unless you're a certain size, you cannot, um, on a P&L basis, um, reconcile having an internal recruitment team. Yeah. You've got to have a certain volume of recruitment to require that. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you can access all the specialities, you know, thinking about Abigail, you know, who, who's looking at global stuff and, and moving into data. So there'll always be a place, isn't it? It's just keeping an eye on the effect and the impact of data, particularly, I think, in data analytics and how that, you know, moves us and then listening to what clients and candidates want and fundamentally delivering what, what your stakeholders want from you. Yeah, makes sense. Kate, I saw you nodding again. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, look, I think um, guys have made some great points. I think for me, looking at what does next year look like, because I think looking too far in the future at the minute is um, not the right thing to do. Um, I, I personally think that um, there will be a bit of a boom. I think that might be followed by a bit of a lull as well, though. So I think we need to be careful with that. Um, I, I, I wonder how the peak's going to take. And that also depends on interest rates and tax. Um, we are going to have to pay this money back. You know, we're talking about furlough. It costs a lot of money. And I do think that will impact things as well. I think we can't forget there's an economic mm. um, issue that's going to happen at some point. But I do think the market's been static. And I think we all know clients that haven't recruited all year that need to recruit and actually now going, mm, actually, now it's urgent, desperate. I had a client yesterday say to me, we no need to recruit this for six months. Um, but we now need the person by. And I'm thinking guys like this is ridiculous um it's about getting still getting the right person it's not about panic recruiting panic recruiting never helped anybody so i do think and i talked about the roaring 20s before 
you know, Roaring Twenties came after a depression, after the world was fed up. Um, And we saw what happened um, with um, Eat Out to um, help out. Um, Everybody started going out in the summer. And I do think when we can get out, we're all so fed up. I do think hospitality will boom again. I think everyone will have a Christmas party in the summer. I think there'll be double (laughs) weddings because all the weddings that were cancelled this year, plus all the weddings next year. I mean, I did think if if you were clever, you'd be set up a wedding venue now because there won't be enough when um, when things kick off in the summer and we can all be together again. Um, so there are some clear sectors that are going to benefit from the world opening up again. Because I think we've, travel is another one that's actually taken a kick in. But ultimately, um, I was talking to somebody yesterday that they're struggling and they're worried they're not going to have enough pilots. And that's because once a pilot's not flown a plane for a certain amount of time, they have to retrain. Um, and we are going to have an issue in travel. So it's going to be really interesting how things flip next year, I think. I, and therefore, I do think as a recruitment business, you need to get ready for that because we've all shrunk a little bit. Are you looking at building your teams back? Are your teams in the right place? Have you got the right people? Um, and for me, that's what I would be advising to think about, um, especially with the recession, we talked about get, you, get yourself lean, but start building yourself up so your business is prepared from a tech point of view, from a people point of view, from a systems and process point of view for when things kick off. Because if you're not ready, you'll miss that peak um, you won't be able to supply and you won't be big enough to be able to do that so I think that's important and then I think I, I've kind of wait with bated breath and see what happens as far as um, Brexit is concerned there's going to be an impact there and I think there'll be an impact economically from, from a tax point of view um, but I hope um, that things um, kind of create some stability but you know I mean I've, I've been in recruitment 22 years and 16 years of owning my own business and has it been the same every year is it the same every month no it's like if you not if you can't cope with change and transformation forget being a recruiter it can change daily we all know that it can change hour by hour you know what what's going on what's happening um you're struggling one minute and you get a phone call the next minute a client wants you to recruit 60 jobs and then you're thinking how am i going to recruit 60 jobs so it, it, it changes so fast doesn't it so i don't know i can't predict the future what i would say is there's some amazing entrepreneurial driven people in our sector um that will get through anything um i'm really passionate about um that we can make a difference and we talk about um internal recruiters recruiters probably the biggest sector that has nearly everyone has an internal recruitment department does that mean they find the best people fastest not all the time do i think people look at bottom line and not time to hire and the impact of wrong hires and retention yeah i do and i do hope that we come full circle and people start to realize that saving a recruiter fee is not actually the best thing to do um, and from a productizing point of view, go talking to Abigail about different price points. We've been doing that for a really long time now. We've got about nine or ten different products, um, depending on uh, on the clients' um, needs. Um, and some are retained all the way through the year. We don't tend to work contingency anymore. We work in partnership. Um, and so I think. Um, a lot of people will change that model. And um, for me, it's not about if, if somebody wants me to work first past the post, um, who can throw the CVs at them the fastest? I'm out before we've even started. I'm not interested in that type of recruitment because um, if somebody wants to do that kind of recruitment, they, they don't understand recruitment or people practices particularly well. Um, and, and I just don't want to get involved in that anymore. And that's also been a bit of a grown-up business as well, saying actually we'll choose the clients that we work with. Um, and I, I won't just work with a client because they offer me to work a vacancy. I'm not interested in that. I love that. I love that. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to choose your clients and make sure you work with the right types of businesses, that's for sure. Um, years ago, I was consulting with a business that was, every time it took on new customers, it actually started to lose money because their systems and processes were leaking and creating so many errors that it was actually hurting them to grow. So I think this is probably an opportunity to work out how can we get the systems, the culture, all sorts of things in a much better place so that when hopefully the roaring 20s come back, hopefully maybe not the fashion, but certainly the economic activity <laughs> starts to boom again, that we can thrive. I might finish with a final question around what's your general advice to other recruitment and or general HR businesses on how to be successful. Abigail, maybe you could share your thoughts on that one. Yeah, I mean, I guess how to be successful as another business will obviously know your business, know way, have that leadership again in place that's that's really good, have a, a strong purpose, values and a culture that's going for it. 
Um, and um, I think just about a combination of everything we've touched on today. I mean, and right right now, I totally agree with what Kate was saying about getting your process and systems in place and, and start that growth to be ready or, or, or whether it's growth or just tailoring everyone you've got ready for what's going to happen in the future. Um, this is a great opportunity for us to be doing that right now. And I think we can all be really successful if we've if we look at this as, as an opportunity rather than um, a hindrance right now, what's going on. Yeah, no, very good. John, what are your thoughts or advice? Uh, yeah, I'll keep it quite simple. I think everyone focuses on a, a client strategy and, and not, not enough time is spent looking at a candidate strategy. So the candidate journey experience is absolutely crucial. And, and that to me makes the difference between a, a good and a great company. So I'd really focus on the candidate side as Kate and Abigail have touched upon, you know, hopefully there is going to be a boom and the floodgates open. There is going to be a candidate-led market. So therefore, your strategy on how you take care of, you know, all candidates who are registered with you, not those uh, that you just place, it's those rejections. And, and how you handle those rejections is the key because that's your first, you, you don't need to make a business phone call to new clients. That's your first opening for new business. And, and, and the companies I come across, those who have got the candidate strategy correct, the ones who will come out of this absolutely thriving. It's probably every day you go onto LinkedIn and you'll see someone talking about what a horrendous experience they've had as a candidate. Yeah. On the client side, when they talk about employee retention and they go, oh, well, we can't find or keep people, well, how are you lining up all your systems and processes? And if everything's a mess... <laughs> then it's once you've, you can't shut the gate once the horse is bolted. You need to have done Correct. that and done the work now. Yeah. yeah, great advice. Thank you, Paul. What's your advice on how to grow a successful recruitment business? I think, well, if you go to the original sort of bone of the question, you know, how how, how are you going to be successful? Um, I think first thing is is success is not an absolute. So success is different for every human being and every individual. I think one of the things that has been difficult with lockdown and has given people the time to reflect is that just because the guy or the lady down the road is driving a better car doesn't mean they've got a better life. And don't so, you know, control what you can control, which I think is something that Kate touched on in a slightly different sphere before. So number one is work out what success means for you. Number one. Number two, to me, a big part of its values and cultures, as we've touched on before. Um, and then it's treat people as you want to be treated, whether that be your colleagues that you work with, your suppliers, your partners, your candidates, your clients. You know, we will make mistakes. We will drop the ball sometimes. I agree with with all the guys around the, around the table that I think we're going to see an uplift in middle part of next year. And there's going to be times where that candidate doesn't get that call back. This, it's going to happen. This, don't beat yourself up. You can do something about it, but not treat people as you want to be treated and you probably won't go far wrong. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And Kate, any advice for others? Yeah, for me, I, I think you should um, shout about your successes. So the market's quiet at the minute. So there's this, there's a gap. So um, it's really interesting that I look on LinkedIn and there's um, a lot of candidate noise and a lack of um, recruitment noise. Um, and I think it's a real opportunity to, um, and I think we we did it by accident, to be fair. Um, so I'll pass that on in the sense of when we um, went into um, lockdown, we decided to stay open. Um, and I didn't furlough everybody. Um, it cost me money. Um, but we were there on the other end of the phone to candidates. And we had competitors where candidates are saying, or rang up and they said, oh, ring back in three months, we're, we're shut now. Where were those candidates going to get advice? I couldn't place those candidates. I couldn't do anything with them, but I could spend half an hour on the phone teaching them how to get a job. Mm. And those candidates coming back to me now, a lot of them got jobs and brilliant. that was brilliant. And we've had some amazing feedback to say, you guys stood up as actually caring about the candidates and not just about, we've shut because we've got no vacancies to fill, thanks. Um, and I think um, by accident, um, and I've had loads of lovely feedback from people um, out there saying, you know, you won't be forgotten for what you did. Um, I didn't do it for that. I did it because I felt that we were doing the right thing. And that was a real risk for us because it cost us money. Um, but actually for me, being present and helping people talking, but also shouting about those successes um, and getting your voice heard as a business um, during a time which is perhaps quieter than it would normally be um, and that people have a little bit more space to hear those messages um, I think would, would set you up as, as being different. Brilliant. Very good. Yeah. Um, finally, if I just quickly uh, whip around 30 seconds, can you just quickly summarise your business again? And if someone is listening to this 
and thinks, oh, I could have a potential client, what kind of client would they be referring to you? Abigail, back to you. Anyone that wants to hire accountancy, finance professionals, data analysts, cybersecurity professionals anywhere in the world. And if you're particularly finding it hard to find someone, we can help you. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, Kate? Um, for us, it's any leadership and operational management, whether it's in logistics, warehousing, marketing, retail, hospitality, HR, finance, um, any role um, that, that sits. But for me, pick up the phone and speak to us and we'll tell you whether we can help you or not. And we'll be super honest about that. Um, but also for me, um, as an individual, I, I am starting to do more network and more coaching. Um, so I'm open into those conversations as well. Um, we, we did a management buyout, so don't own the whole of the business anymore, which is why I've changed to founder. Um, and so I do have um, a board now and I've got a little bit more time. So I love chatting to people and helping people as well. So there's a little bit of that too. Perfect. All right. Thank you. John? Uh, yeah, it's basically, uh, obviously I've got three potential clients on this panel. So uh, hopefully <laughs> uh, uh, they will appreciate my honesty that it's all about basically given a, a sort of down-to-earth service. And, and right now, in terms of recruitment, uh, if I find a candidate who's in a good role and a good job, I'll be informing them to stay exactly where they are. They should not be looking to leave because at the start of the pandemic, I had four starters. It was all before the furlough scheme came into operation and they were all given notice within the first week. And, and one of those individuals had been at uh, my previous company for 18 years. So I'll just give people an honest appraisal of the marketplace and uh, I'd rather deliver zero candidates rather than someone who's not quite the right fit. So simple as that. Yeah, thank you. And Paul? Um, if you're in a business that's got a function of finance or a function of HR or any related commercial uh, commercial role, either currently or it's something you need to develop, then we're happy to happy to assist you anywhere in the UK. The only caveats are that you're honest, you're decent, and uh, and you've got a bit of sense of humour. <laughs> well, we've seen plenty of that here today. So hopefully we've all enjoyed it. I've certainly enjoyed it. And on behalf of the listeners, thank you all for sharing your information, your insights, your stories. It's been really interesting for me and for everyone. So Kate, Abigail, Paul, John, thank you very much for your time. Thank, thank you. Ben. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.